Lord, we do lift up, God, those all around us who are, Lord, struggling in sickness or diseases. And we pray for healing, God. We pray for Alapai, too, in the hospital. And pray for Anne that you heal them. And God, we do remember and for all these, Lord, that we love. And God, that we ask for your will to be done, but your healing touch, God. Lord, we pray you be with us today, too. That you would heal us spiritually, God. That you would free us from our sins, Lord. And as we come upon your truth, Lord, may you give us that freedom from our sins, Lord. And give us victory, God, like never before. As we realize more and more about who you are, God, and what that means to us. So, Lord, bless your word this morning. Anoint it with your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, I read about the Samurai War Lord, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, and he had built this giant statue of Buddha. It was specially made to go into the large shrine in Kyoto, Japan, and it was to outclass the famous Buddha statue in Nana, Japan. Well, he wanted his Buddha that he was making to be greater than the other Buddha there in that other city. It took 50,000 men a total of five years to build. Then when it was finally completed, this earthquake came in 1596, crashed the roof of the temple right onto the statue and wrecked this Buddha. Well, in anger, the samurai warlord Hideyoshi shot an arrow at the fallen Buddha and he shouted to it, I put you here at great expense and you can't even look after your own temple. <laughs> well, we see this Buddha is not so great after all. And you know what I was thinking? Well, maybe perhaps it was something, maybe God was sending a message because at the same time, Hideyoshi, interesting enough, Hideyoshi had banished Christian missionaries from all of his territories. Who knows? I don't know. But we know this, don't we? God is greater. Well, as we continue our study in Hebrews, the writer helps the Jewish believers to understand how the Old Testament priest Melchizedek is a picture of Jesus Christ, which should help these believers see that Jesus is greater than all. And that's the title of our message this morning, Greater Than All. All. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 7 from verse 1 through 10 this morning as we make our way through this book. Well, what makes Jesus greater than all? Well, there's four things we're going to see, and this is our outline. Number one, his glorious office. Number two, his glorious title. Number three, his glorious term. And number four, his glorious rank. So let's begin here. Greater than all, yes, Jesus is. Number one in our outline, his glorious office. His glorious office. Take a look with me here now. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. It reads here, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. We're going to stop right there. Well, we begin with this word here in verse 1, the word for, which continues the thought from what we saw in verse 20 in the last chapter. Now, last week, we ended there and at the end of chapter 6, and, and we saw how Jesus is not like any other earthly priest, but he is 
basically our eternal high priest. And that is more like the priest in the, or a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And that's how we ended in our last chapter in verse 20. If you missed the message, you can grab the CD and, and you can catch it online. Now, the writer goes on here to focus on what that means. Who is this Melchizedek? The writer now presents Melchizedek as a type of Christ, it's called. A type is like an illustration or a picture of Christ. And it helps us understand what Jesus is more like. And so that's what the writer's doing here. He wants to help the Jewish believers understand, really, and we focus on this, the position of Jesus of what he holds now. Remember, back in chapter 5, we saw that Jesus is our high priest. He's that bridge between God and man. And it was a, it was a perfect way of talking to the Jewish believers because they grew up in that culture. They grew up in this tradition of having a priest, you know, between them and the Lord and going to the temple and offering the sacrifices. So the writer's bringing Jesus into this whole picture to help them understand that he's our high priest. He's our priest. He's our bridge between God Amen. But remember back then I had brought up perhaps the Jewish believers are asking, well, wait a minute, isn't the high priest supposed to be like a descendant of Aaron? That was Moses' law. Or isn't he supposed to be of the tribe of Levi? But what they know too, and we understand, that the Messiah is the, from the tribe of Judah, right? David's line, right? So how, is, how does this work out that Jesus is actually the high priest? Well, the answer is Jesus came from a different line than Aaron's priestly line. Remember, Jesus is of a greater priestly line, and he is the, in the order, according to the order of Melchizedek. And that's how we end again in our last chapter. So now, as we cross over into this new chapter, in chapter 7, the writer brings us back to focus on this priest now. He had mentioned it in chapter 5. He mentioned Melchizedek at the end of the last chapter. And now he's going to focus in on Melchizedek here. See, before there was Moses, before Aaron had this priestly line, there was a priest called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek gives us this picture of what Jesus is like. Okay, so the writer reminds the Jewish believers, and they, they, they know their, their scriptures, their Old Testament, reminds them here in verse 1 of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, really, he's a priest mentioned only uh, twice in the New Testament. Once in Psalm 110.4 and another time in Genesis chapter 14, verses 8 through 20. And this is what the writer's referring to here as we look into our chapter in Hebrews. So, the writer's like, hey, remember how Melchizedek, and we see here in verse 1, he is the king of Salem which is the ancient name for Jerusalem. Which is, to me, very interesting that he was a king of Salem or king of that city because we know in the millennium, Jesus is going to be ruling from Jerusalem. And then the writer's like, and remember how Melchizedek is a priest of the Most High God, he says here in verse 1. In other words, he he did not only worship the same true God as Abraham did, But he also served the true God as a priest. 
And so the writer says, remember this. He was a king, he was a priest. And then, remember how, he says in verse 1, this Melchizedek met up with Abraham. And now this is referring to the story in Genesis 14. After Abraham's great victory from the slaughter of the kings, there was four kings, right, that he came against. They had kidnapped Lot, so Abraham went and rescued Lot from these kings, and he totally defeated them. And so then the writer's like, remember how that happened with Abraham? And then remember how then Melchizedek, verse 1, then he blessed Abraham when Abraham came to him, came to Melchizedek to honor the Lord who gave him the victory. Matter of fact, when Melchizedek blessed Abraham back in Genesis 14, he, he said, he reminded Abraham, hey, it was the Lord who gave you this victory. So the idea here right away in verse 1 is this Melchizedek holds this higher position than Abraham because Abraham comes to him for a blessing. And Melchizedek holds this office of both king and priest. Now, this is a great topic to bring up to the Jewish believers because understand, for the Jew, this is not normal for a priest to also be a king. For under the Mosaic law, that law of Moses, this is not allowed. A priest cannot be a king and a king cannot be a priest. So this is something way unique. Aaron and the other, other priests down the line from them, they were not kings. They were only priests. When King Saul, you remember, when he couldn't wait for Samuel the prophet to come in 1 Samuel 13, he couldn't wait for him. They were about to go into battle. So what did King Saul do? Well, I'm going to just sacrifice, make the sacrifice myself. Well, what happened with that? When Samuel came and saw what he was doing, that he was playing the role as priest, he was taking the office as priest, he was already king. What happened? He ended up, Saul ended up losing his kingship. No more would the kingdom or the kingly line go through Saul, but it's going to go through David now. That's how that happened. Do you remember when King Uzziah pridefully went into the temple, burned incense as a priest does? Do you remember what happened? Right away, immediately, leprosy came upon him. And then he was a leper for the rest of his life because of what he did. So under the Mosaic law, a priest could not be king and a king could not be priest. But Melchizedek here we see is both king and priest and it predates all of what Moses had brought forth. And so he is recognized by Abraham as both king and priest. So you see how the writer, as he's bringing up Melchizedek here, Melchizedek is like Jesus Christ. He's a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus holds the same position we saw there in, in chapter 5, that he is king and priest. So this is his glorious office. Thus our heading here in our outline. Listen to what Zechariah chapter 6 verse 13 says. It says, yes, he will build the temple of the Lord. Now this is speaking of the the millennial temple. And it's speaking of Christ when he comes back to the earth. And then it says in Zechariah 6.13, Then you will receive royal honor and will rule as king from his throne. He will also serve as priest from his throne. And there will be perfect harmony between his two roles. 
So we see that Jesus, when he comes back to the earth, his second coming, sets up his rule and reign during the millennium time, those thousand years of, of rule of Christ on the earth, that Jesus will serve that office, that glorious office of both king and priest. So you understand, Melchizedek is a type of Jesus Christ. So what makes Jesus greater than all? Jesus is our king and priest. Jesus is our king and priest. I was thinking about this. Have you ever like called maybe some business or company and, and, and you were put on hold? And then when you finally reach someone and they say, well, you know, only to tell you that, well, I, I, I can't do this for you. And they, we're going to transfer you to the right person. And then you're on hold for all this time again. Like, well, I'm going to put you to the right department. I remember that happened to me with Hawaiian Teho one time. I was calling in and, and, you know, I'm like on hold for half an hour. And I talked to some, oh, well, that's not my department. Let me send you over here. I go, no, no, no. And they send you over there. And then you're like on hold for another 20 minutes or so. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, sorry, that's not my department, you know. Well, let me tell you, you will never hear that from Jesus Christ. You'll never hear Jesus say, oh, sorry, that's my, not my department. I'm only the priest here. You know, if, if you want some stuff changed, you've got to like talk to the Father and pray to Him, right? So hold on, I'll transfer you. No, Jesus is both our King and Priest. He is both our Lord and Savior. Know this, you guys. It's a wonderful thing to know that, that the, our Lord, the one we love, Jesus, you know what? He's your Savior and He's your Creator. He's both here. So you can go to Jesus for everything you need. Everything, you guys. Every situation, whatever it is. And He's there as your Savior. He's there to, to help you. He's there to, to not only give you forgiveness and comfort, but He's there as our sovereign Lord God. And He can make things happen. He can work things out in His will. He can move in your life. He has that power too. He doesn't have to, well, you know what, let me, let me check with the Father first. Yeah? He's God. He's Lord. He's the one sitting on the throne on top of that. He's your Savior there. He's your high priest. So, greater than all? Well, we see because His glorious office. Let's go to number two now. Number two in our outline, His glorious title. His glorious title. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 2 now. It says here, To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated, King of Righteousness, and then also King of Salem meaning king of peace. So, now Abraham also gave a tenth part. He gave a tithe to Melchizedek. He gave a tithe, a tenth, from the spoils, uh, from his victory here, from defeating the, the four kings. Now, this shows the superiority of Melchizedek. So the writer's going to get more in detail of this when we get into the, our last section, verses 4 through 10. So he's going to get into this tithe thing. But, but for now, let's focus in on what he says next. First being translated, king of righteousness. So Melchizedek's name actually means king of righteousness. And then also he says here, king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So king of Salem actually means king of peace. So the idea here is that 
righteousness and peace are met in Melchizedek in who he is and what the position he holds, which makes him, again, a type of Christ, a picture, illustration of Jesus Christ. John Philip says, For in Christ righteousness and peace have met finally and forever. I like that. I like that thought because think about the Aaron's priesthood, right? Think about they never did provide this eternal righteousness, which meant you could never have this real eternal peace. The sacrifice has the sacrifices that the Aaron and the priests there, they had to be made on a regular basis, yeah, over and over and over again. It didn't last. It didn't and they had to keep going and you had to keep bringing these these sacrifices, but with Jesus, we know he died once and for all. Romans 6, 8, right? And now we can be made righteous. We can be made right with God and then have that peace with God so we can go to heaven. We have that assurance now in Jesus Christ. And then God can channel down His peace. So we have the peace with God and the peace of God. We have peace in our lives. So the names of Melchizedek and King of Salem is a type of Christ which shows His glorious title. That's Jesus' glorious title. Thus our heading. Psalms 85.10 says, Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. I like that. So what makes Jesus greater than all? Jesus is our peace and righteousness. That, that's what makes Jesus greater than all. Jesus is our peace and righteousness. Think for a moment what that means. This is huge, you guys. Think, think for a moment when you first came to Christ and you found that peace from the guilt of your sin. And you found that, wow, I can be right with God after all that I did, after this life that I lived, that God would love me and forgive me. Think about all that means. Jesus, He is our peace and righteousness. We try many things. We try doing, being good or even go to church or maybe you grew up in some sort of religion where, where you have to do something to some works and stuff to, so that you would be good, that you could be right. But we find everything is in Jesus because Jesus is our peace and righteousness. In San Jose, California, there's a house, a big house there called the Winchester Mansion. Have you heard about that? Well, it was built by Sarah Winchester, the widow of the, the owner to the Winchester Gun Company, if you heard of Winchester Rifles, right? Uh, for 38 years, from 1884 until her death in 1922, the house was in constant construction. There are 160 rooms, over 10,000 windows. There's a lot of weird things like stairs that lead to blank walls, doors that open up to nowhere, rooms on top of other rooms, and windows that look into another room. And you know why she kept building it and building this monster mansion thing? All this was done because of her guilt. She believed that she was haunted or would be haunted by the ghosts of those who were killed by her husband's guns unless she kept building that house. 
She spent more than $7 million on this mansion. That's in today's money. On this pointless construction. All, why? In this desperate search for peace. To make things right. Sadly, many are seeking peace through similar fruitless ways, right? Whether you're trying to get peace through escaping and drugs or alcohol or sex, yeah? even wealth, even. They're all like these dead ends. They're all like leading to nowhere, may, wasting money and time. The only way to find that peace is to find righteousness in Jesus. And you can find peace and righteousness from the same source. Does that describe your life? Deep down inside you, 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 you have this guilt and you're living this reckless life. You're looking for real forgiveness all along the destructive behavior is because of that guilt. Listen, Jesus can save you. Jesus can forgive you. Jesus can release you of that guilt and finally give you that peace that you seek after. Go to Him, go to the cross, and you know what? You'll find healing from the past, freedom from the bondage of your sins, and finally be made right before the Lord. It's in Jesus. He is our peace and righteousness. Well, greater than all Jesus is, and let's come to number three now in our outline, His glorious term his glorious term greater than all for we see it in his glorious office his glorious title now his glorious term hebrews chapter 7 verse 3 it says here without father without mother without genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life but made like the son of god remains a priest continually now, the writer continues in and bringing up another thing about Melchizedek. Now, he's a little bit of a mysterious person, but we get some more ideas and what's going on with this guy through Hebrews, really. But it's mentioned here in Hebrews 7, 3, that Melchizedek is without father or mother. In other words, there's no information about what family he came from? What, 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 where did he come from? He just kind of appears on the scene, scene as uh, the king of Jerusalem, this priest of, of the Most High God. There's no origins recorded in Scripture. He also has no genealogy. Without genealogy, verse 3 says, to show that lineage, which, which makes it different from the Aaronic priesthood, Aaron's priest, right? Because they all have to come from the line of Aaron. So you, you know that they're from the family of Aaron, so they're priests. But this one has no genealogy. And Melchizedek, there's no record of, and this is interesting, neither beginning of days nor end of life. In other words, there's no record of when he was born or when he, was die, when he died. Now, Note this, because of this kind of description, some say Melchizedek, he was an angel. That maybe he, 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 he was just there, he, he, was, he was just this angel. But I believe if he was an angel, the writer would have said that here. Some say that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. But again, I believe the writer would have said that 
if that was the truth. But you can study this on, on your own. Some have these different views on this. But for me, I believe that Melchizedek was a real man, a real king, a real priest in a real city here. See, all of this was actually presented in a way so that, it says here, Melchizedek would be made like the Son of God. I think God termed this, like on paper, you don't see his family, you don't see his birth and death on paper, but it was also that it can help us understand that he is a type of Christ. He is made like the Son of God. That's what that means. He's a type of Jesus Christ. And with this picture... This is one who remains a priest continually, here it says in verse 3. I mean one, that means one who's, a pre, who's their, their priestly term never ends. So the idea is this. Melchizedek's continual priesthood on paper was a type of Christ. For Jesus holds an eternal priesthood. His term will never end. And that's his glorious term. Now, what a contrast this, is, this would be for the Jewish believers. Normally, a Levite like would serve from the age 25 to the age 50. That was his term to minister. The high priest would normally hold that position until he dies. But for Jesus, his term for both king and priest is forever. There is no end. And isn't that who Jesus is anyway, right? He is the eternal one. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. And Jesus said this. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Says the Lord God. I am the one who is. Who always was. And who is still to come. The Almighty One. Alpha and Omega here. And what Jesus was saying. Is the, the first and the last letters. In the Greek alphabet. So Jesus is saying. Hey. I'm the beginning, I'm the end, I'm the eternal one. I'm, there's, there's no beginning or end when, in that phrase. He will always be the Lord God Almighty. And in context of our passage, He will always be the priest and king. So what makes Jesus greater than all? Jesus is our Alpha and Omega, the eternal one. Jesus is our Alpha and Omega, the eternal one. One. A few years ago, uh, the, the principal here at Kalama Intermediate School had retired and a new one stepped in. And we were already in here. We were already, uh, uh, you know, renting this space on Sundays in the classrooms and all. And when the new principal stepped in, I was a little concerned that, oh, things might change here, you know. Will we still be allowed to stay here and meet here as a church? And and I, I started to get a little fearful, but prayful. You know, I was praying and like, Lord, uh, okay, I'm trying to trust you. But, you know, you know, those moments where you start, you get a little nervous. And, but when I met with the new principal, you know what he told me? He, well, first of all, I thought it was awesome that his, his father is actually a pastor on Oahu. His sister was a missionary and is back here. And he, he grew up in that way. I don't know. You could pray for him. I don't know if he's really walking with the Lord right now, but pray for him. You know, he knows. And so, oh, that gave me comfort. And so I started asking him, well, you know, is it okay, you know, Sunday and, and, and the amount of, you know, rent we pay and all that? Because the old principal really blessed us with a very good deal. And, and we're, I was super blessed, you know, with that. 
And you know what he told me? He said, you know what, Rick, I want to keep things exactly the same. I was so relieved that the blessings that God had brought through the old principle will continue on with the new one. And you understand, sometimes that doesn't happen, right? When there's a change of guard or when there's a change of your boss or, or the company changes, a new company comes in, sometimes it's not the same thing. Well, let me tell you, what we find in Jesus, He will always be our King and Priest and things aren't going to change. We don't have to worry that His term will end. We don't have to worry that, oh no, we've got to deal with someone else. And maybe the rules are going to change. But you can be assured that what God says He will do and He will do all the way to the end. He won't change His mind. He won't change things. When Jesus says He loves you, you know what? He loves you. And know that His love is what an everlasting love. It's a love that lasts forever. It doesn't wear out. It doesn't lose strength because of your failure or because maybe you don't feel it. It's always there, reliable, consistent. No matter how you feel, your feelings may go up or down. Not the Lord. God doesn't have feelings for us like, well, you know, I did really like you once, but no, not today. Right? Does He say that? No. He is consistent. He is the same today. Yeah, yesterday and forever as the end of Hebrews talks about. His love is reliable and consistent. And know that no matter how you feel today. Maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe you're going through something where you're not sure. Well, God, I don't know if you will take care of me in the future. Or maybe you've done something and you regret it and you come to church and you're, you're repentant and you're seeking that forgiveness and cleansing and being made right with God, but you're not sure. He forgave me before, but will He forgive me again? He will, you guys. He will. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. It's a promise. It's not an excuse for sin. But for us who feel condemned, He's there for you right now. Has He been there for you in the past? He's going to be for you. He's going to be there for you in the future too. Tomorrow. Right now. No worries. Does he have a plan for your life like he had a plan back then and he gave you your job or he gave you your position or place or he provided for you? I mean, look, you guys, you guys are, are pretty well dressed there, yeah? You think he's going to keep providing for you? Yes, he will. He won't change. Be encouraged. Feel love. Know that you will always be his child. A child of God. Jesus is our Alpha and Omega, the Eternal One. Well, let's move on to our last heading. His glorious rank. His glorious rank. Great in all Jesus is, for we see it in number one, His glorious office. Number two, His glorious title. Number three, His glorious term. And now four, His glorious rank. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4. Now, consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Okay, the writer goes on to say, consider how great Melchizedek was. That's what he's talking about. For you see how our respected patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth, a tithe of the spoils from victory. 
Here the writer shows that the father of the Jews, the patriarch, the one that all the Jews honor and lift up way high in position, this great Abraham actually gave tithe to someone that he considered superior to him. And that's the idea. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham because only the greater receive donations from the lesser. And this is a thought that is being put forth to these Jewish believers. Bruce Barton said in his commentary, Melchizedek is seen as an awesome person. He is in another class altogether, different from the greatest of the patriarchs. I like that. So this is what the writer, the idea that he's putting forth is Melchizedek is in another class altogether. Verse 5, And indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Now the writer brings in this other thought. He brings in how the sons of Levi, the Levites, who were the Jewish priests and the ministers, right? They were commanded to receive the tithes from the people, right? So they, the people gave the tithes and then collected, yeah, uh, the Levites collected those tithes. And then these Jewish people who gave to the Levites, they were their own brethren. They were brothers there in, in, as Jews there. One wasn't higher than the other. They all came from the loins or they were descendants of Abraham. So in other words, since the Levites received the tithe, it did not mean they were superior. The people and the Levites were, were all in the same family of Jews. To, the, the, the job to collect the tithes did not come from any superiority, but by the commandment of the Lord. So what the writers say, now this is a little different from what you guys used to, when, when what we see with Abraham and Melchizedek. But what do we see? Verse 6. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them, and that's talking about Melchizedek, uh, who did not share their lineage, he whose genealogy is not derived from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Abraham who held those promises. Verse 7. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. So here's what the writer is saying. Melchizedek did, did receive tithes from Abraham. In other, in other words, Abraham was not under the law to give tithes. There, there was no law like that. There was, God didn't tell him to give it to Melchizedek. Abraham gave of his own free will because he recognized the higher place that Melchizedek held. And then the writer adds this thought. Melchizedek then blessed the great Abraham, who was the one who received the promises, our patriarch, right? The father of the nation, this great guy. And then this shows, verse 7, beyond all contradiction, or another way to say that is without question, the lesser Abraham is blessed by the better or the greater Melchizedek. So this shows how Abraham acknowledges the greatness of Melchizedek by accepting the blessing from him, giving the tithe and accepting the blessing from Melchizedek. Now, think about this again. Jewish readers reading this book, right? This Jewish writer is, is, is communicating to Jewish believers. And think of it this way. In the Jewish mind, it's the Father who blesses the sons. Yeah? So the Father, Abraham, higher, but he is submitted to Melchizedek, who's even higher in position. 
Usually the greater blesses the lesser. So this makes Melchizedek greater than Abraham or, or even the Levites and Aaron and the high priests. You could say, the writers say, Melchizedek outranks all of these guys. So he goes on in verse 5. Now this is on one side. Verse 8, here mortal men receive tithes. That, that's the Levites coming from Abraham. But there, on the other side, Melchizedek, he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. In other words, Melchizedek is the one who, who doesn't have a beginning or an end, at least on paper. Verse 9, even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he has, for, verse 10, for he was still in loins of his father when Melchizedek, Met. So as we come to the end of our passage this morning, the writer says, so, so to speak, basically, end of verse 9. In other words, you might even say this, like, don't press this too far, but through their family tie in Abraham, the Levites paid tithes through Abraham. Abraham. For the Levites were still in the loins. They're still genetically part of what Abraham's actions, they're part of that in offering the tithe to Melchizedek. The idea is this, in other words, when Abraham tied, it was like all the Levites and all the Jews recognized the superiority of Melchizedek. In Numbers 3, the, the Lord took the tribe of Levi in place of the firstborn of all the families in Israel. That, that's how that happened. He took the whole tribe of Levites to serve him in the tabernacle. They, they were in place of the firstborn of every family tribe there. And so thus the Levites represented the whole nation in service before the Lord. So in this sense, as Abraham gave the tithe, and so did the Levites, uh, they received tithes and gave to the priests, so did all the Jews, so that all under Abraham, they recognized Melchizedek as greater. Then that means, like Mel Melchizedek, Jesus should be put in a total different place. His position is the highest of all above any other earthly priest. This then is his glorious rank. That's our heading. Psalm 24, 7, listen to what it says from verse 7 through 10. It says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Who is the King of glory? Who, who is this talking about? Jesus. His name is Jesus, like that song. Who is this King of glory? His name is Jesus, right? His name is Jesus, guys. So what makes Jesus greater than all? Jesus is our high and glorious one. Jesus is our high and glorious one. One time, uh, King Oscar the second of sweden was visiting a school one day and the question was asked the students the little students uh to name the greatest kings of sweden and so the answers like were like gustavus uh, vasa or gustavus Adolphus or charles the 10 uh they're all previous kings of sweden well 
the teacher then leaned over to one little boy, whispered in his ear, and then the boy all of a sudden blurted out, Oh, oh, and King Oscar, who was sitting right there, right? Really, said the king. And what has King Oscar done that is so remarkable? And the boy's like, Ah, I don't know, because, you know, he's prompted in that. And you know what the king said? He said, That's right, neither do I. (laughs) I like that. Hey, but Jesus is not like that. He is our creator. He is our savior. He is the one who gave his life up for you and me. There is none higher. He's the one who holds things in his hands. All things consist, Colossians talks about, right? He is our king. He's the one who's sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father right now. He will come to this earth one day and rule and reign as king, you guys. And that's our king. That's the one we know. He's the one on top. There's no one higher. He's the one who loves you. And isn't that great to know, though, the guy who's on the highest seat, he's the one who loves you so much. He's the one there for you, thinking about you. He's the one who's, who's reachable, not, not unreachable. Sometimes the guys at top, they're, they're unreachable. You've got to go through their secretary and this guy and that guy to even talk to him. But our king, the one who's on top, you know what? He's just a prayer away. He's the one that you know. He's the one you have an in with. Think about it that way. I'll close with this. I read about how in a biology class, the final exam was proving really to be super hard. So the professor decided to give the students a break. So he told the class for the exam, in this college exam, that they could bring to the exam as much info as it would fit on a piece of notebook paper. Well, most of the students wrote in tiny print to cram as much as possible onto the 8.5, 11-inch of paper, except one student. He came to class, he took the piece of paper, laid it down on the floor right next to his desk. And then his friend a graduate student in biology, stood on the paper, making sure his feet was on the paper. His friend gave him all he needed to know. And that student was the only one to get an A on the exam. Pretty smart, right? But I guess it goes to show you it's not what you know, but who you know that counts. And who do we know? Jesus. Who do we know? Jesus. Here's the thing, the writer was trying to relate to his fellow Jews that they they knew they can only go as far as your priest is able to take you. That's the culture they grew up in. That was the tradition. But he's trying to tell you that Jesus, he's our high priest. He's our Lord God. He's our king. He's up at the top. There's no one greater. So how far can he take you? I would say real far. I would say all the way far. I would say beyond what you think far. Sometimes we cannot see beyond what we see, right? Sometimes we cannot see beyond what we feel, right? Sometimes we we cannot see beyond what we experience even. But you know what faith is? Faith is knowing that Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and King. Jesus Christ, the one who loves us, the one who's a prayer away. 
you know what? He can take you way farther than you can ever imagine. So trust Him, you guys. Trust Him. Jesus is greater than all. Let's pray. Lord God, how rich is your truth here that have been presented to us through your word. God, I thank you for using this writer to reach out to the Jewish believers, to bring their minds, to put you, Jesus, in a higher place than they could, that they have ever conceived, Lord. Help us, Lord, to understand you in this way also. God, sometimes we, we bring you down to a low place, and, 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 and it's because, Lord, we, we rely upon what we think, our perceptions, what we feel, and, and what we can see with our own eyes, Lord. And then we doubt you and the rest. But God, may this passage and the truths and the principles presented here show us that, Lord, you are far greater than we can even conceive, Lord. As being our eternal God, all-powerful, Lord. It's hard for us to grasp and understand it, Lord, but help us, God, in faith, Lord, to trust in you for our future for tomorrow, for the now, for the things we're going through even today. Lord, help us to trust in you that when you say you forgive us, you forgive us and you cleanse us. When you say that, that I love you, that you really do love us. Some of us, Lord, it's hard to imagine what love really is because we've only experienced so much and what we've experienced has hurt. But Lord, we know what your word says, that, that your love is higher and wider and, and deeper than anything we can even imagine. So help us, Lord, to, to truly grasp that and to put our faith in that and receive that. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that is struggling, Lord, with things in life that you would lift the burden as they cast their cares upon you, that you would be their peace and righteousness, that you would be their strength and power, and through your Holy Spirit, may they sense your presence like never before, God. Oh, Lord, we need you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.